Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. Uh, This is John Darcy here, the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. And it's great today to be back in uh, SALT HQ. Got the great branding over my shoulder. It's my Wednesday pilgrimage into Manhattan, and it's good to at least start to get back to a little bit of normal. Uh, But we're excited to continue our SALT Talks series. What SALT Talks is, is a digital interview series that we launched during this work from home period with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And what we're trying to do during SALT Talks is replicate the experience that we provide at our global conferences, the SALT Conference. And that's really to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as to provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today uh, to welcome Angela Matheny to SALT Talks. Uh, Angela joined Crucial Partners in July of 2016 She and the firm CIO co-manage the investment team to ensure internal processes are efficient while managing the firm's manager selection process and the systematic process that helps best ideas that are constructed into portfolios. Angela also continues to drive the firm's manager diversity initiative to attract and source diverse asset managers while monitoring protocol and internal vetting processes of women and diverse asset managers. Angela facilitates the constant communication between crucial partners and fund managers as the firm continues to build a robust pipeline of what it believes are truly uh, the most largely underfollowed segments of the asset manager community marketplace. Angela also acts as a conduit in sourcing diverse managers when recommendations and introductions are made by clients and or board members. She frequently attends emerging manager and diverse manager conferences returning with best practices while networking and learning about industry-wide issues and the inclusive approach many institutions may take to include more diverse managers in their search processes. Angela received a master's in public administration at the Metropolitan College of New York. She also earned a certificate in human resources management from Villanova University, which included studies in diversity and inclusion. She received her bachelor's degree in psychology from uh, Bernard Baruch College in New York, and she also serves serves on York College's foundation board. A reminder, if you have any questions for Angela during today's SALT talk, you can uh, enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen on Zoom. And we're very excited to welcome back Sarah Kunst as the moderator on today's SALT talk. Uh, Sarah is the managing director of Clio Capital, which is a venture capital firm that she founded. And uh, and with that, I'll turn don't it over. You, to- no, no. Don't you think you should be wearing? I mean, look at you guys. Don't you think you should be wearing a suit and tie? What's wrong with it? Come on, let's millennials. Wearing- I mean, <laughs> like to be a little more comfortable. Enough with the millennial fashion. Enough with the millennial fashion. You look great. Anthony's got cargo shorts on underneath that suit. So that's not, not true, Sarah. Okay, this is hundred percent Brioni. Don't be listening to that. <laughs> I believe you. Um, and with that, sorry, Sarah, for that rude interruption uh, from our, our typical host, Anthony, but uh, we'll turn it over to you for the interview, and we're looking forward to, to hearing more from Angela. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you guys for joining us, and especially Angela. Um, I am thrilled and excited to have you here today um, so we can talk about all the things we always talk about um, around diversity and investing and, you know, what in the world is going on in the world of those things right now. Um, But before we do that, like, give us sort of what you do and how you got here, because I have talked to a lot of funds and allocators in my time, and you have one of the most, I think, unique roles in the industry. 
Thank you, Sarah. So good to finally be at the SALT conference. And I'm actually very excited that you guys have a focus on um, diversity and inclusion as it relates to a lot of emerging managers that I see. And so I've been wanting to attend SALT for many years. And I just told um, one, of, uh, um, one of the representatives at SALT, John, that um, I just need a reason to come to um, Las Vegas and, and many of the other places that you guys um, hold conferences. Um, at um, internationally or nationally. And um, this is a really, really good reason. I'm always excited to talk about diversity and our focus at Crucial Partners. So first and foremost, the big elephant in the room is that we have rebranded. Um, we are no longer, um, the, we are formerly known as the um, firm um, called Colonial Consulting. Colonial Consulting was a name that we inherited from the um, owner of the first owner of the firm and um, he retired um, the four owners currently um, bought him out um, and we probably should have changed our name then but really what the name meant was that the owner had a love for sailing and boats um, but crucial partners really reflects who we are today as a crew as um, everything we do is a team effort all of um, um, our colleagues and different um, departments are deeply embedded in the success of the firm. And so we've gone from maybe this concept of a sailing boat to a rowboat where we are all rowing together. Um, and you can see the diversity reflected across the firm. And many people didn't know um, that we were so diverse internally, but I'm excited to direct people to our new website. So you, you, you can see exactly what our focus is and how many of my, our colleagues are engaging. Um, and, and really you can see the reflection of diversity across our firm um, as it relates to what we wanna see more in America. So I was um, brought on board about four years ago to source diverse asset managers across five asset classes. We are um, a traditional investment um, advisory firm. And we work primarily with endowments and foundations. Um, and it looks like a, a bunch of community foundations that engage in grant making. And what's nice about our capital is that we are focused and that we tend to have a very, very focused group in the sense that we work with clients who have a long-term focus, um, long-term goals in terms of growing their portfolios. And we're all trying to really earn seven plus inflation for our clients. And it's nice to have have a well-oriented goal to weather um, crisis such as the one that we're currently in, but our primary goal entails preserving um, our clients' purchasing power is what our CIO is always trying to do in most of the team each day. So um, after grants and spending and inflation, the question is, can you really earn a return that exceeds that? Now, um, as it relates to our focus on diverse managers, it's deeply embedded in our investment philosophy. And so again, four years ago, I hit the pavement um, nationally going to many, many um, cities looking for diverse asset managers, partnering with trade organizations, exercising the many resources that they have, the educational component of many of these um, uh, uh, conferences such as NAIC, NAST, 
Twego SEO. There's so many of them now and so many new ones focusing on venture capital. Um, I found that there is a talented group of individuals that include women and people of color across asset classes. I'm happy to engage with them, happy to bring back so many inquiries. And then we just drill down, take meetings, conduct overviews. I do what I call triage to see um, what exactly a manager is building and to see basically if they're ready for our client's capital. Now, I don't make that uh, decision alone, so I often bring many of my colleagues into meetings. I turn seem to, seem to have a lot of first-time meetings myself, and then um, just run it up the flagpole, see if there's um, any particular interest, particularly when a strategy um, cr- comes across as something maybe convoluted, like structured products and hedge funds. You know, a lot of things that are complex um, that I haven't seen. We tend to not overall um, invest in, we don't invest in things that we don't understand. And so um, the team is very engaged. They are now sourcing their own diverse managers, although I was um, initially focused on this effort 100% of the time. I'm glad to um, see that everybody is building this pipeline of robust managers that are underserved and undersourced. I love it. I wish that every big allocator uh, took a page from your book um, because I think that it, you know, it, it's obvious that they brought you on and, you know, it was super helpful to, to help kind of grow uh, what they want to do. And, and so that's great. And so we look forward to collaborating on the Skybridge side, you know, with your pipeline of diverse managers is something that we've started to focus on in, in recent years. And, and we're after this talk, we're looking forward to, to putting our heads together on that as well, Angela. Perfect. That would be great. It's an ecosystem. So I love that you said that. Yes, yes. It takes it takes all kinds. And we are very excited to see people like Salt and Skybridge uh, lean in on that. That's literally how I, I met Salt. I cold emailed them and said, hey, can I come to your conference in Abu Dhabi? I want to speak. And they're like, okay. And then now, now we're here. So I love that, that spirit of collaboration. Um, so Tell us a little bit about, we know it's bad, but it never hurts to hear specifically bad, how bad it is. What does the landscape look like for Black and Hispanic fund managers across kind of all the asset classes that you cover? Well, I'm still having a challenge finding Black and Hispanic hedge fund managers. I can count on one hand how many there are in the U.S. There's a bit more in the U.K., but um, it points to opportunity or lack of opportunity um, on a corporate level to even have the opportunity to, you know, get hired by a top-tier firm or any firm. It doesn't even have to be top-tier, but really, really good investors where Black and Brown managers across various asset classes can cut their teeth and sort of learn the blue blueprint of the firm is what I always like to say, but that training and mentorship is huge. And if HR doesn't have the backbone to create a strategy to allow leadership to lean in and listen to what they have to say in terms of building a diverse workforce, that's where we see the dearth of talent across asset classes. So a challenge in the hedge fund area, a challenge maybe even um, in U.S. equities, we are seeing um, a handful of white women and Asian Um, asset managers. And so turning to the black and brown uh, community, there are huge opportunities currently, particularly in uh, private equity um, and venture capital, because everybody's uh, paying attention to what I call the racial pandemic. And particularly with our clients being nonprofit organization, you would think that they're well aligned in terms of their missions, their values, and who they serve in their committees, um, um, in their community. But they have woefully and inadequately um, 
allocated to diverse managers traditionally. And to me, that may point to the fact that maybe boards or committees are homogenous groups. And so um, they're just doing more of the same, trucking in the same um, network. It also points to what I hear a lot that um, consultants are the gatekeepers. So are they making the recommendations? But even going a step back, are they even building a pipeline of uh, managers that look different from, you know, the managers that are typically on the roster. And so the importance of me being an appendage, initially an appendage to the team and sourcing women and diverse asset managers has been a huge focus, as you know, Sarah, but it's really important in terms of portfolio diversification, because for us, we feel like it's sort of a downside protection kind of thing in order to build a diversified portfolio across age, gender, ethnicity, even geography. So there's many ways ways you can do portfolio construction. And one of the ways that we like to think that you can um, incorporate, um, you know, that downside protection is actually implementing um, diversity, which leads to diversity of thought, which then leads to diverse outcomes. And and as we know, diverse teams tend to drive better results. Yes, I love that. Um, so, so what can allocators and investors do? You mentioned this, you know, if it's the consultants or wherever these roadblocks are, um, what can allocators and investors do to be better at sort of attracting and funding diverse talent? Because, you know, we're out here, I exist, but but how do more people, I guess, on that side get in front of me just as I'm trying to get in front of more people? I love how you said you're out there and you exist. And that's the thing. You haven't been hiding. Many black and brown asset managers, even women, have not been hiding. And so you simply need to fish in a different pond, whether you want to initially hire someone to tap into those networks. I think that initially, maybe some people don't feel comfortable entering certain rooms. I remember our CIO told me years ago of a story of him actually being the minority in a room when he attended um, consortiums conference led by um, the great um, Renee Griffin, um, who's now at Grovesner. And he talked about that experience and he didn't say that he was uncomfortable in any way. What he said was that it was different. Um, but he saw for, for himself firsthand this diverse room, this great, you know, he had a sense that, you know, they were talented investors. Were they the right type of investors for us in terms of aligning with our investment philosophy and a lot of the other things that we look for in our diligence process? Well, that remains to be seen. But one of the jo jobs that he uh, charged me with was just go out um, and he didn't tell me how to do anything. That was those so fascinating about my role, the huge sense of autonomy, how I just went out and I trekked in different places across um, the nation. And I brought back all these inquiries. And, um, you know, we found that the talent was out there. I had no problem engaging with any group. Um, and, and so now we're about 4 billion, north of 4 billion um, allocated to diverse asset managers of the, I want to say, 35 billion plus assets that we manage for our community foundation that probably that number probably went uh, went up because we just uh, got a, a couple of new clients on board but it's approximately 35 billion and there's no finish line to this effort we're going to keep going um, until all of our clients portfolios reflect um, the diversity that we need to see um, again um, not having to do anything with really ethnicity race or whatever you want to call it but diversity of thought yeah. Yeah. So for every allocator who's like, we just can't find them. You have found 4 billion worth 
<laughs> and you know, there, there you go. There's the proof. Um, anybody who can't find them needs to come talk to Angela. Um, that's awesome. And then also everybody, uh, feel free to drop questions in the Q and a Angela is a wealth of knowledge. Um, and one of my absolute favorite people to talk to about these topics. Um, I'm a VC, so I like to talk to her about venture capital, but she spends a lot of time looking at other strategies, um, including hedge funds, which I know a lot of you are big fans of. So, um, you know, definitely uh, drop questions and, and we will go through them as they come in. Um, so, so Angela, tell me, what does it look like? And you and I talk about this a lot um, because I have my first fund and then getting started on my second. What does it look like to be fundable by a large allocator, right? It's not just going to your buddies and saying, hey, I'm smart, give me some money. Like, what does it look like? What are the things that where you see people and you're just like, no, you're messing it up. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. What are the common mistakes? And like, what are the things where you're like, yes, this is what you need to do. Go do more of it. Well, first of all, I don't want to take total credit for the $4 billion that we have allocated across <laughs> all those asset classes because I have a really, really great group of colleagues behind me, although we did focus on uh, me doing 100% of the sourcing initially. Um, but to your question, um, to answer your question, um, oh my God, I just drew a blank about your question. How do you be investable, right? By large allocators. Uh, yeah. A lot of people when you get started, you're raising money from friends or angels and then, you know, leveling up and you have, you and I've had this conversation to get the money from the large allocators is a whole different ball game. Like, what should they do? What should people not do? What are common mistakes you see? Like, give us the playbook. Okay, so I have some pet peeves. I'll get to that in a second. But the answer is kind of fluid because it depends on what allocator you're approaching. You really have to do your homework. So I've attended all sorts of conferences. I've attended emerging manager conferences, which is largely um, hosted by a lot of pension plans, defined pension plans. They usually come um, have a lot of um, large mandates. And so they want you to, to manage large amounts of capital and your strategy may not lend to that. I just started seeing um, before we all started working from home, more venture capitalists at the um, conferences that I attend, the really large one, um, ones with, again, a lot of mandates. So I thought, wow, I, I'm seeing some venture capitalists at these conferences. So that means that maybe community foundation clients are there or um, smaller LPs like us who appreciate smaller funds are there and we can eat up a $20 million fund, right? Um, we can, we like, um, you know, $100 million funds. So we tend to say, that the 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 small funds that we see that would traditionally be too small for a lot of large allocators they're actually perfect for us because we want to grow with them and so some of my pet peeves is um with the small funds because they're just starting out they do you know they there's some rookie mistakes there's like no website no contact on the website i can't tell you how many times i've been up two in the morning on a Friday or maybe in a, a Saturday, just bored, not doing anything or believing that this is a mission and it's something that keeps me awake at night. I comb websites and sometimes I'll look at someone's strategy and I'll think, wow, that looks kind of perfect for us. So it's really interesting. I would like to reach out to this individual and there's no contact information. Um, somebody will probably email me from their Gmail account and say that they're fundraising. Well, why don't you have a website in a real email address that connects with 
with, you know, your fund name. Um, and then, you know, people are fundraising and they don't have all of their fund documents. Um, so that means that on many levels, maybe you're not ready to go to market. You don't have a data room. You don't have something um, as simple as a DDQ, which you can download if you just Google it. Um, there's like so many rookie mistakes. Um, but one of the larger things I want to say for this audience is just try not to be all things to all people. Really tell us what's your unique edge. What's the differentiator in your strategy? What um, inefficiencies are you finding in the market that you're capitalizing on? Um, and, and why this fund now? And why this fund size? And if you come back to market and let's say your fund size is double, we want you to walk us through what opportunities are you going to see, are you seeing that warrants that larger fund size? Um, you know, large funds, you know, um, maybe um, I think of it as maybe if we wanted to invest in a block black rock or you know one of the larger asset managers we would do that if a fund is too big you sort of become the market and we saw how that looked back in 2008 and so we sort of have a niche for small managers but um i'm always open to discussion early building of relationships to walk people through the do's and the don't i even get them ready um, meeting ready for our team. And you know, you and I have done that a lot. Um, don't present yourself as a networker. I think we have enough networking um, professionals in this um, industry. And so what we want to see is what your what is your value proposition if we're talking about private equity or venture capital? What level of expertise do you bring um, to the fund where your founders can really leverage that expertise? Um, it has to be something beyond you writing a check and just walking away. Can they call you? Can they, can you, you know, take them through the different iterations of how they're going to scale and grow their business and then survive? And are they right for venture capital? And so we want to hear about your sourcing. What questions do you ask? What's a non-starter when you find a founder? Do they have to be a revenue generator? Is, you know, um, what's pre-seed? Define that for us because we all know that the goal post keeps moving. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just so many questions, but we really, largely just want you to be you bring your authentic self to the meeting pitch authentically um, don't worry about what we're looking for what we're going to say I think that even if we don't end up writing a check you'll get a wealth of feedback um, and it's probably maybe a not right now and you know instead of a no um, and we see that over and over again yeah yeah that's all so helpful um we have a couple of questions. Um, so we're going to start with Lisa Hins, who asked, you know, can you speak to the demand side? What are endowments and foundations asking for with respect to diversity? What's driving them? So are you getting or, or you know, are you getting calls saying, hey, we need to allocate to diverse managers or are you more having to push that? So pre-pandemic, we were it was slow moving. We have a handful of clients that actually love to look at diverse managers and they're trying to solve either a housing crisis, they're focused on impact, and we allow them to define what is impact for them. Some clients may want to put all diverse managers, women, into an impact pool or bucket. So again, we don't define it for them, but when we source a manager and we diligence them, put them through our process, and finally we're at approval, and then we're pitching to our client base, we are thinking that this is a high conviction manager, we we don't want to put them in a sleeve or carve out a section for them. They should be part of the general portfolio. So having said that, 
Um, a lot of our clients don't have a mandate for diversity, but if you comb, you know, a lot of these websites, particularly for nonprofits or community foundations, you will see that their mission and value is geared towards that. And a lot of them probably want to um, invest maybe in a local manager or they want to invest in a black and brown or black or brown manager because, you know, they want to solve this racial equity problem. But we haven't seen any hard mandates. But what we have seen and helped with was getting manager diversity language into their investment policy statement. I like that um, idea and we've helped with that um, numerous times because I think that that has to be sustainable as boards turn over. I can't imagine a new board member coming um, on the scene and saying, why is this language here? We should take it out. And so it, hel it, holds the, it helps to hold the uh, committee accountable for what they should be focused on. And so that's why it's important to have it there. But I, and so now in the current environment, yes, we're seeing so much interest in black and brown managers and women. Um, and they want to see what they're building. A lot of focus, I get inbounds all the time about diverse managers in the venture space because many managers are picked up by the media in various ways and everything looks good. Um, and, you know, everybody's excited about what someone is building. Some of it is promotional. When we look under the hood, we can tell how ready they are for our clients' capital. And so that's where I come in, trying to really have real down-to-earth conversations to walk them through our process and to see whether they're ready or not, again, for our clients' capital. Yeah, yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and then uh, Mark asked, you know, are the comments you made about the VCPE industry germane for a minority private equity real estate manager too? Um, and then he says, keep up the good work, which I agree, you're doing amazing work. Um, but yeah, I mean, does this apply to all strategies? Is it, is it, do you see massive differences in REITs versus hedge funds versus VCPE? Or like, what do you think about that? I'm seeing, um, if the question relates to if, uh, where am I seeing the most diverse managers, I'm seeing the most in the private equity space, particularly venture. Again, there's still a dearth of the managers that we you know, haven't seen traditionally many investors and hedge funds, global equities, even U.S. equities. Um, I would love to see some Hispanics that I could vet in that space. Um, but I think that um, private equity and venture is probably a more what we call, um, I hear this word a lot, sexy as asset class. Um, and, and what I'm also seeing is people with very non-traditional backgrounds enter the space in many ways. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that's awesome. And then um, Kai asks, uh, you know, he says GMO, that the large money manager has, you know, very low equity return expectations for the next seven years, aka the, the recession might finally fit, hit that feels like we've been waiting for since like mid-March. Um, do you have return expectations for hedge funds, you know, venture, hedge funds, venture funds and private equity for the same period? So how are you guys thinking about you know, if if the bottom finally comes for us, if the stock market hears about what's the pandemic, uh, well, what does that mean? We've been having a lot of conversations around this. And I think people are basically, as you alluded to, are, you know, we're waiting to see if the bottom is going to fall out. We see decreased valuations if you look at, you know, private equity, particularly venture, and we're waiting for things to shake out. But we always have high expectations about, you know, um, many things. But, you know, everyone's listening to what's going to happen with the election, you know, for instance, you know, um, 
what return expectations um, are, are we expecting? Like, who knows? Um, you know, people have this maybe um, macro focus. They want to time the market. Um, I don't know. It's going to be what it's going to be. And then we'll try to see what are we going to do with the hands, you know, um, the cards that we've been dealt. But, um, you know, we always, we're not going to change our sourcing metrics. We're not going to lower the bar in any way in terms of what we would traditionally expect. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think that um, we're all looking, you know, from a high level, um, don't want to lower our expectations, but, you know, we'll be where we're going to be and we'll do the best of what we can. And we'll continue to source um, all types of managers and look to see what's out there that we can uh, capitalize upon. Um, we just did a, um, a revisit of our asset allocations um, as it relates to how much heavily weighted are we in global equities versus, um, you know, U.S. equities. And so um, it's just a model, you know, whether or not we follow the new model or we uh, go with the model that we created um, in January, I, I think we'll see. But um, a lot of our clients, because they're nonprofits, you know, they're looking for liquidity for a number of reasons. You know, we have university um, clients and students are not in class and they've lost their revenue generating, you know, um, um, you know, uh, engines. And so um, when we look at global equities or any type of equities, sometimes we try to, you know, the consultants, I hear them say a lot, they try to talk them down into in terms of selling. But, you know, the, the real truth is, is that, you know, if something has done well in equities, you want to sell so you can buy something else. You want to have that purchasing power for your client. And so, a lot of times it makes sense, but um, we're trying to see what we can do. And sometimes um, I, I kind of feel like as an advisor, and I don't want to speak for my firm, but this is how I see things. Um, are we in this sort of lame duck session where we're just sitting back and seeing what's going to shake out to see how we can really best advise our clients and, you know, how can we continue to grow their capital on a long-term basis? Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens but we're not veering away from our investment philosophy. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and then Juan asked, um, do you work with private debt managers? He said he doesn't see much diversity in that space. Yeah, I don't see much diversity in that space either. And we do, actually, we just talked this week with our investment team about two private debt managers. Um, one was, uh, you know, we were looking at distress. We were looking at a lot of credit. And so one um, of our investment directors actually yesterday, two of them talked about um, a housing strategy. Um, and we want to be really, really careful um, into looking at the hood and really, really what does that strategy mean? You know, we looked at non-performing loans, you know, we think about, you know, what are people actually doing out there? Um, again, our client base is not going to agree with a lot of things that are happening, but there are opportunities that we should capitalize on, but we want to be really, really careful to make sure that we're not doing more damage than good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, Kai asked again, um, what are your approaches to evaluating emerging and new hedge fund managers and strategies? It's the same across all five asset classes. I mean, we ask different questions, obviously, of different managers. Um, when, but I'll tell you one thing. Low AUM is not a deal breaker for us because, as I said earlier, we want to be able to grow with that manager. So we are paying attention to AUM because we want the business to be strong and viable. 
Um, and we don't, we, we've been known to be anchors as well. And while we rather not be such a large portion of your business, we will be that first check to come in um, to allocate to you if we have high conviction in you, the strategy, your investment acumen, your passion for investing. Um, there's just so many boxes to check, but really we need to see what sort of firm do you want to build? What sort of team are you bringing in? What sort of team do you want to build? And have you all invested together before? Um, all of these things matter. We, wanna, we want relationships to be tested. Um, we don't like risk adverse investors. And so um, if there's a lot of volatility in the strategy, we tend to get our clients comfortable with volatility um, if, if that's something that they, they want to see. Um, but it doesn't scare us. So um, our CIO in particular, he's a real contrarian investor. So as long as we can understand um, what you're doing from an underwriting standpoint, and you're very transparent with us, um, you know, everyone is trying to get comfortable. But again, just be yourself, be unique. Um, and I think that you'll have a successful meeting. I love it. That's super helpful. Um, and we have like 10 more minutes. So I'm going to go back to asking you some of my questions. But if anybody else has last minute questions, uh, Angela is a very hard woman to get time with. So this is a great time to ask. I've got her a question, that. Sarah. I'm raising yeah. my hand. I'm yeah. raising my hand. I have a question. That. Yeah. What type of, you know, for the industry, the, the investment management industry as a whole, what type of changes would you like to see the industry make to give greater opportunity to minority asset managers, both women uh, Hispanic Americans, African Americans. I'll give you one example. In the NFL years ago, and, and it's, I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it has mixed success. They instituted a rule called the Rooney Rule, where basically anytime there was a head coach opening on an NFL franchise, you had to interview a minority candidate before you finalized the hiring of a new candidate of any race or creed. And what that did is it basically gave minority candidates experience in the interview process. And it also exposed teams to candidates they might not have interviewed if that mandate wasn't in place. Um, I think about that when I think about the industry, about just the lack of opportunity and credibility that are given sometimes to minority managers, just because you don't see and hear from a lot of people that look and sound like them. But what types of things from an industry perspective could we do better to ensure that minority candidates you know, get the confidence and the experience needed to eventually launch their own fund and get those senior jobs at investment management firms? Oh my God, John, thank you so much for that question. First of all, the Rooney rule, that rule is helpful to some people who want to dip their toe in the water and who believe that they can't find them. But really, um, I believe we can do better than that. Crucial has certainly done better than that. To me, that's like saying, oh, I have this one black friend and that's what I'm going to bring to the interview. And then that's it. I check the box. I hired that person. But there are so many institutions that are filled with black talent, such as all of the HBCUs. Um, and then there's also hiring and sourcing from non-traditional uh, from from Ivy League, um, from from schools that are not Ivy League institutions. So, for instance, we source a lot from city and state universities, as well as Ivy League talent, because again, we want that diversity of thought, diversity of background. But what, um, as an ecosystem, what we can do 
I pointed earlier to HR and chief, um, also chief diversity officers. They really, really need to speak up and work to align themselves with leadership because sometimes, you know, certain firms engage in nepotism or they can slip a you know, resume in and say, oh, you know, here's a friend of a friend, um, however that goes. And that's how we see these homogenous groups and many firms. And that's how we see the wealth gap completely, continuously widen. HR needs to fire their recruiter who doesn't listen to them the same way investors are probably going to start divesting from asset managers um, and consultants who say, you know, when you say you want to see um, a more diverse set of asset managers, that's exactly what we want to see. Um, and it's your job to bring these candidates forward. But we have a nice, nice, really robust uh, internship program. And one of the things that I like about Crucial is that the entire firm is engaged in this um, uh, cohort of interns that we hire each year. It's usually about 10 or 12 um, candidates. And we want them, to, we want to persuade them to come into this career, consider this career in asset management. So our CIO would say we like to brainwash them to stay, but they can go anywhere they want. They can stay in, um, in on the investment team, which we prefer, or um, there's other opportunities um, in client services and even our information technology department. Um, but for the, for the most part, our CIO, he has lunch with not only every single person in the firm. So you get to engage with senior leadership, such as himself, myself. I take all of our interns um, to industry conferences with me, um, you know, when they're based in New York City. All of the opportunities in, 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 in New York City, you know, some of our industry colleagues say, wow, Angela, I see you have your clan with you. That's right, because they cannot be what they cannot see. And so that's so important. And so... Um, there's many recruiters, there's many diversity resources and agencies that have um, a wealth of talent that every single asset management firm, um, whether you're an allocator or an LP, you can exercise and take advantage of this talent that's out there. Um, like Sarah said earlier, we are not hiding. We've always been here. We want the opportunities. The strange thing is, is that if you are a firm um, and you're not hiring diverse talent. That's why we can't see enough black hedge fund managers, enough women in, 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 in hedge funds. Um, that training and that, that pedigree that comes out of a lot of these shops is really, really important. Not only is it a lucrative opportunity, but if you turn the venture, you know, we're looking for that 1% GP commitment. You know, I don't have a rich uncle that I can call up. Where am I supposed to get this? How do I get in the game? You can't even compete because you've never had those corporate opportunities. You've never had a chance to um, maybe get a little capital to manage in a portfolio. You've never had the opportunity to engage um, with a an executive leadership team to get a lot of other training. So if that doesn't happen, we're just not going to see enough of us in those key positions. Thank you for that, Angela. And I'll, I'll turn the microphone back to Sarah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, that those all of those things I, I heartily co-sign from, from what I've observed in this industry. Um, Julia has a question um, and she asked, uh, which is it's kind of a funny question, but it, it's good. And you and I have talked about this a lot, Angela. How do you define diversity? Is it a percentage of total workforce, of management? Do you guys have your own definition? Does it differ client by client? Um, are there any best practices in the industry or benchmarks in place for asset owners to kind of compare their diversity mandates? 
So two things. First of all, we define diversity, Crucial does, for our clients as more than 50% equity ownership at a firm. And we prefer that equity to lie on the investment team, the founders, the co-founders, because we believe that that is the diversity reflected in the portfolio. Those are the decision makers and those are the outcomes that we see in a, a, a best performing portfolio. And so that 51 um, more than 50% is really, really key. You can't count the Black receptionists, the Hispanic person in the mailroom, the people who are non-investment-related um, related professionals, or even your wife who probably is not even working at the firm, or maybe you know a relative is working in a different capacity. It really needs to lie um, on the investment team. Yeah, I love that. I agree. Um, awesome. Well, we're we're almost at time, so I'm going to kind of ask you the last question here. Um, this has been obviously the craziest year of the I don't know, like ever. It feels like, um, and you know, starting with this summer and the George Floyd, you know, protests, we've seen it feels like a lot of talk, right? We've seen a lot of black squares. Um, do you feel like things are changing, right? You're you're the money lady. You're the one who's sitting. Um, where the actual, you know, kind of rubber hits the road, are things changing? I hope they're changing. I hope this is not just momentum. I think that it is a very pivotal moment. And I do feel as though we are um, turning the corner. I do feel that it is, this is the second wave of what you might call the civil rights movement as it relates to economic opportunity. You know, it's about time. We are here. Again, we haven't been hiding. And what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of client interest as it relates to diverse managers and women um, and people are becoming more and more educated as to why diversity makes so much sense and how it is our fiduciary duty as consultants to make sure we're continuously building that pipeline across the five asset classes in which we invest on behalf of our clients. And so um, I think there's so many um, so many institutions focused on racial equity, um, certainly nonprofit clients, you know, it makes sense for them. Um, students are getting involved. Some are even wondering at the universities, you know, are, are you investing in diverse asset managers as it relates to the investment portfolio of the university? So I think young people have a huge voice. Um, and I think that for um, managers with non-traditional backgrounds, particularly in venture, there's many ways to actually um, get into venture now. Um, people were probably looking at traditional backgrounds. Historically, you would have to go to a venture capital firm, um, make it to partnership or have some sort of pool of capital you know, to manage. What I love that I'm seeing with um, some of the top venture firms um, is that they have, you know, um, what are they called? They have these sources that go out. What's the terminology, Sarah? You and I always talk about this. Yeah, they're scouts. I was yeah. a scout. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. So I love that opportunity because if you have a budget to be a scout and you can just go out um, and, and source a number of things, ideas, things that are important to you that you would invest with with your own capital. And I've seen scouts do that and then, you know, spin out and create their own fund. And then those top funds that gave you that budget, um, they can sort of cherry pick in terms of what is interesting to them. But what I love is that, you know, they're accessing a pipeline of talent that they normally wouldn't see in their, their network. And so if they're hiring diverse women and individuals to tap into that talent base, um, I think it's a start. 
I love it. And I agree. Um, well, this has been amazing. And I so appreciate it, as I know everybody on this call does, um, you giving us your time and wisdom. And thank you so much for doing the work you're doing. And I don't care what you say. I am personally attributing every single one of those $4 billion to you. Um, and I'm excited to see more come down the pipeline. So with that, um, thank you so much. I'm going to hand it back to John. Thank you. Angela, thanks so much for joining us. And Sarah, thank you again for introducing us to great people. That's why we brought you on here as a moderator uh, for Salt Talks and, and a member of our community. So we're very grateful for that. And again, Angela, we look forward to collaborating uh, from a Skybridge level on ways that we can uh, allocate our capital to more diverse managers because we think it can help drive improved returns. That's ultimately the goal. 